Hello, welcome back to On She Goes. My name is Vivian Zhang, one-fourth of the On She Goes crew. Over the last two episodes, we've been interviewing our favorite travel influencers, and today I'm chatting with Maggie Lamb from Bite Size Travels. You want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote-unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were. truly in my damn homeland. Welcome to the Travel Throwback episode with our favorite travel influencers. I get the honor to not only speak to this influencer, but also my dear friend since eighth grade. That's nearly 14 years back that we've seen each other grow and separate physically, but I've also seen us take similar journeys. So I'm super excited to talk to her today. Um, Maggie Lamb is her name and she runs at Bite Size Travels. Her and her boyfriend used to work in SF, and then they converted a sprinter van about 2.5 years ago into their venture home named Bernie, after Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and they currently live in Lake Tahoe and work remotely in the tech space and are eager to get back into the road. So let's jump into it. Welcome, Maggie, to On She Goes. Thank you. Nice to see you. It's kind of crazy. Like, we haven't seen each other, what, in... Since Sasquatch Festival? No, since you converted the van. Yeah, you came out and joined us in Oregon at the very first stop of our van trip, uh, which is really nice. But yeah, we, we see each other occasionally and it, it always feels like normal. Yeah, I love it. Um, and I am so, I actually forgot I saw the van the first trip into Oregon, which was so fun. It was Matt and I's first time camping together. Yeah. which was quite glamping. <laughs> the spot you found was so nice with like the running water and the bathrooms yeah. and that lake. Yeah, um, that definitely was not representative of the entire trip. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't wait to hear more of it. But let's jump into it. Um, what inspired you into this nomadic lifestyle that's half on the road and half in Lake Tahoe? Um, it was something that we were talking about for a long time because we definitely wanted to do more travel and incorporate into our lives. Uh, it kind of kicked off when I found out that my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and this was like late 2017. And we purchased the van around that time and that's when we really set a timeline for ourselves to talk to our jobs and set off. And from the time that we bought the van to when we wanted to set off, we gave ourselves about six months. So for that, we just really wanted to live our lives at the moment in terms of everything we wanted to do and not wait for that. Because I think there's always excuses in terms of, you know, you can wait for the right timing and the right timing, the definition of that will always change. Mm -hmm. So for us to travel, we wanted to be able to have a base as well. So that's where Lake Tahoe really came in. We wanted to live somewhere that was uh, encouraging us to get outside, where we had like-minded people around us. Um, and not that SF wasn't that, we really loved SF, but it just mm -hmm. wasn't scalable in terms of the cost. So Tahoe really allowed us to have a, a base to set off on our adventures half of the year. That's really the, the timeline we like to have, like half of the year at our base, half of the year either traveling on the road or internationally. 
And you've always had the travel bug in college and then even before this band and even before Dom. What was it about travel? Like, I mean, we've always talked about in our childhoods, we didn't travel much or at all, really. Right. So when you finally got to travel, it was like it just never stopped. So was it like that first trip that you're like, yes, this is what I love? Yeah, I think what really set it off was when I was able to study abroad in college in Italy and it always felt like something really unattainable to me like Mm. you know we grew up in very low-income families and travel wasn't a priority it was our families were very much in survival mode so it was a luxury that I didn't feel was that accessible to me so being able to save up and go on that first trip it just showed me that there was so much of the world that I was missing out on Mm. and I think there was a certain drive that was ignited almost that, you know, I want to make this a really core part of my life and I'll Mm. do whatever it takes to get there. So I think just being able to experience different cultures and like foods and like these beautiful sites, you know, who wouldn't love that? (laughs) Yeah. You're like so practical as a person too. So I love that this is such a hard lifestyle to achieve but of all people to achieve it it doesn't surprise me that you were able to come up with a game plan and like (laughs) make it happen which is so awesome um what was it like when you first like you finally found the van that fit the vision um yeah it was really exciting I had been looking for a few months and you know finding something that was the right year with not too many mechanical problems you know the right price the right size and configuration because there's a couple of different vans that people decide to convert we ultimately decided to go with a sprinter uh, that was high top so that we had some room to stand um, and we ultimately decided to go with one that was the shorter version as well not the extended mm. one that you see sometimes with like full showers and toilets and stuff because we wanted it to be very flexible We didn't have to think too much about where to park it, where it's going to fit, because it it fit in a normal parking spot. Um, It was just the right size for that. So, yeah, we were really looking for something along those lines. And we found one in L.A. through this used van dealership. And we flew down, drove it back up. It was just this empty box. But, yeah, it had a lot of potential, and we immediately got to planning. That's so awesome. How long did it take to convert this empty box? So it took us five months um, and it probably would have been faster, but we were working full time. And so we were also living in Oakland and there was nowhere to park the van. So we had to park it quite, you know, far away. So we would take an Uber to our van every (laughs) Saturday morning, drive it back to the sidewalk in front of our apartment, work on it Saturdays and Sundays and then drop it off again on Sunday evenings. So there's really not a lot of time. You know, we had those 48 hours on the weekends. Wow. And then, yeah, it was was straight back to work. It was super exhausting. But I think, you know, we we had a drive and we were set on our plan and we just wanted to make it happen. So we just gave ourselves the excuse of like, you know, no social life for the next five, six months. Wow. And were you ever nervous when you left it for that Monday to Friday that things would happen to the van? Yeah, yeah. We weren't so nervous when we were building it out because there wasn't anything valuable in it. Um, but it, we did park it in front of our apartment in Oakland one morning and it got spray painted within the span of like two hours. So, you know, there's always that risk, but luckily, you know, through our whole van trip all throughout the years, it hasn't been broken into. So knock on wood for that. 
Oh, that's great. And you, I mean, like you and Dom aren't house builders, handy man people, but like, where did you learn to convert a van? Like YouTube videos? <laughs> yeah, YouTube and blogs. I think even wow. today, it's a lot easier. There's a lot of good resources, but even in, you know, early 2018, there wasn't as much like structured information. So we got piecemeal things here and there, YouTube, blogs, like sometimes just advice from people's dads or something. Mm. Like we obviously, we didn't know yeah. any electricians. We weren't carpenters. Plumbers. Um, yeah, like we just did, we just tried to ask around to our network. Um, in the end, we didn't really find anyone that could help us hands-on, mm. but that was kind of the rewarding part to figure out ourselves. The electricals especially, we were super nervous about oh, trying yeah. to do solar power, uh, not knowing a thing, but you know, we're, we're two smart people and we luckily were able to sit down and figure it out. But it was the last thing we did. We did put it off for like most of the five months. Do you hope to become a resource for other people then? Like something that's easier to find these answers because you've done the work now? Um, I definitely have considered putting together a guide and I think we'll do that when we uh, come to build our second van, which will probably Ooh. be, you know, maybe sometime this year. And our van's been great, but, you know, as you live in it, you discover some things that you're like, oh, I could have done this differently or this could have made it more comfortable. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to sharing that wisdom. The second. That's so exciting. A second <laughs> van. I feel like we're like talking about kids, like a second <laughs> kid. <laughs> um, yeah. What what advice do you have for people who are looking to convert their van like or go down this route? Like, I'm sure there's so many advice that you could think of. Yeah, I think just don't be afraid to start. That's probably mm. the thing that's keeping people um, from jumping into it. Somet like you can plan as much as you want, but in the end, you'll end up probably making mistakes and having to find a way to correct them. But just mm. don't be afraid of that because there's no way of really knowing how something's done until you get your hands on it, even mm. as you watch like blog after blog after blog. So I think, um, yeah, just getting hands on and you know, have a plan for sure, have like a timeline, have different tasks, like make sure that you take breaks because especially mm -hmm. if you're building it with someone else, tensions can run high, you know, opinions <laughs> clash. So, you know, take a break and like be forgiving, I guess, like of the other person and of yourself. Well, and like choosing a bed, right? Like, I mean, it's hard enough to choose a bed in a normal house, but then choosing the bed for your van, it's, you yeah. guys are going to be, that's, everything your bed is your desk your chair your um what bed did you end up choosing so there, there's kind of two options for beds and vans some people go with the one that's like more of a couch and they build it every night to sleep on it we ended up deciding to have a bed that's always fully out um and we kind of made that decision because we've got our kayak stored underneath so we needed a lot of space for that and um you know we just didn't want to deal with the hassle of building the van or sorry building the bed every night so yeah we've got our bed we've got um full induction cooktop you know we've got like a counter space um storage for our like pots and pans and all our clothes we've got a chalkboard like some seating Aww. a solar fridge yeah we've got everything that we need except for like a toilet but luckily we have found areas to use that like either you're in nature or there's a mm. public bathroom pretty much everywhere um there's some comforts that you give up 
and there's definitely sacrifices you have to make. But in the end, we were telling ourselves, you know, the places we've seen on just that initial van trip, but we've since done multiple van trips to different areas. But that first van trip, which was like about five months long, you know, mm. we saw areas that could take people years and years to see um, just by taking like a week or two week long vacation. So, you know, just by seeing all those things and being able to check them off or know we want to go back was invaluable compared to having easy access to a bathroom. What about the driving? So you were dri- essentially driving for five months, right? So is there any advice on like these long road trips? Like I know you and Dom are switching on and off, but I mean, some people like driving is really hard. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, definitely be flexible with your plans because there's going to be days and that that's something the van can afford you. Like you're not having to pre-book any hotels. And so if we really felt drained, we would stay in an area for longer and maybe, you know, forego some time somewhere else. Um, And we kind of made those choices as we went. We didn't try to plan the whole five months ahead of time. And so, yeah, we sometimes we would do you know, six hours of drive just to get through an area. Sometimes we would only drive an hour and then, you know, decide to stay in a slightly new area that night. But yeah, I think you just have to play it by ear and, you know, it definitely helps to have another person with you. Um, Not that you can't do it yourself. You'll just definitely move at a different pace. What music or podcast, like, what do you do for those six hours? (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, we listen to a lot of podcasts, you know, how I built this, because, you know, we're both fairly entrepreneurial people. Yeah. Um, so we listen to a lot of that. We listen to some joke podcasts, you know, my boyfriend's English, so he has a lot of English-based humor <laughs> podcasts that we listen to, um, a lot of audiobooks. Um, yeah, we definitely try to, to fill the time, but, mm. yeah, you just get to know your significant other a lot more. There's a lot of deep conversations that can happen on a long drive. I love that. I feel like um, it's also like that corny quote of like, enjoy the journey, not the destination, right? Yeah. Like, I'm very impatient when I'm driving. I'm like, are we there yet? But I feel like when you know you're going to be in a van for five months, you're you're less so like, when do we get there? When do we get there? It's just like, we'll get there when we get there. Um, And then just shifting into work, because you still work while in van life and while in Lake Tahoe, which I think is so badass because I think it's a lot to juggle. But what uh, what's your advice for people who want to work remotely? Just think of everything as an opportunity cost. You know, when you're not uh, traveling, really devote yourself to setting something up or like working. And when you're traveling and experience something, really try to turn your mind off of work. I think there needs to be those separations and try to be like connected to your team. Like there, we've got remote happy hours. I try to, you know, not visit too often, but maybe like once every quarter, I'll go back to the office, hang out with the team members. I think that personal relationship is really important. And for those that want to be remote, over-communicate, over-deliver. You, you should pretty much be setting people's expectation of you like fairly high so that they know, you know, regardless of where you are, or, like what you're doing on your time off, you're not bringing that into work. Like it's not affecting your schedules or the quality of work you deliver. Yeah, I love that. Um, and then moving into some of the good stuff, travel questions. Uh, what's your favorite travel trip by van? Oh, that's difficult. I think there's, I'll probably cheat and say a few, but um, 
we we spent a month in Colorado this past fall, mm. and that was amazing. I, I know you've got a special place in your heart for Colorado, but we were bouncing around to all the different um, national parks, and they just were really stunning, you know, from the dunes to Mesa Verde, which are old settlements within these cliffs, to, you know, the Rocky mm. Mountains. It's just so varied. And it re reminded me a lot of California, which is just, like, so many different climates, like, you know, just a few hours drive away. Um, so that was definitely in a top. And then we really enjoyed Southern Texas, actually. It's not an area oh, wow. that a lot of people get to. There's this park called Big Bend National Park, which is just near the border of Mexico. And, you know, it feels very Jurassic Parky. There's not a lot wow. of people there. Um, our friend, uh, Matt actually flew out and slept on our van floor during that and it was really funny because it was you know the three of us and our van's not set up for three people so we um, opened the sliding door that we have separating the drivers from the cab and we put a little camping chair back there for him and so he Aww. rode there for you know 16 hour drives like throughout the whole week that we were driving around wow um, and yeah it was it was a great time it was just nice to have i guess a third person join us but there are some some great memories we made through that that's so cool um in i feel like current state of america we can say all these bad things but one thing that has always stuck with me that a friend from new zealand said to me was america's got so much like natural culture that can't be seen anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Has being in the van made you appreciate America a little bit more? Yeah, it's definitely um, gave me a larger appreciation for the diversity. I think having grown up on the East Coast and then gone straight to the West Coast after I graduated college, you know, the coastal cultures are very different from like middle America, you know, the Midwest or the South. And so seeing a bit of that was very eye-opening and pretty much showing that every state had something to offer. You know, we, we didn't end mm -hmm. up hitting all 50, obviously. We hit about 36 out of uh, the continental U.S., but it still gave us a, a larger perspective, especially, like, you know, being American. Like, I, don't, I didn't want my entire life to be spent just in a few states. I wanted to see everything that it had to offer. Oh, I love that, especially we have stereotypes or misconceptions of middle America. And like here you have is like a chance to cross through every border and probably meet some interesting people, which we'll get to. Um, and then what's your favorite travel trip by plane? Yeah, it would probably be the trip we just did recently. We spent a month in Indonesia, hopping around to different islands. I know a lot of people primarily go to Bali, but we were only in Bali for part of it, and then we went to the Komodo Islands, we went to the Gili Islands. Um, I did my scuba diving certificate there, and that was amazing. I think just like seeing that different culture uh, was really interesting, and people were so kind and very open-hearted. It was what I was describing with varied climates, like all the islands have mm. something different to offer and they've got different wildlife. Um, so we would definitely want to explore more of those, you know, islands that we haven't been to. I feel like a lot of people go to certain places like Thailand or like Vietnam for the trips that are cheaper. And I'm assuming Indonesia is one of them too, right? Yeah. So when you go, is it like 
you kind of get to live like a queen. Like that's always a perception I get, but I've never been myself. I think the cost definitely helps you to not uh, focus so much on your budget. Uh, you're definitely, you know, you're able to be more free with it, but we're not like huge splurgers on vacation anyway. We tend to spend other things that we find valuable. So, you know, we're, we're still not like getting our own uh, mansion on a cliffside or something. Like we're just staying in a normal hotel. Uh, you know, like we still try to find bargains where we can. So it may be different for every person, but for us, it's like we're not splurging, but we're not being too restrictive. Yeah, because I feel like that's what happens is people make travel plans and they blow their whole budget in a week of travel. And for you to be in Indonesia for a month, you kind of have to like pace out your budget yeah. a little bit more. I think uh, it depends on your mindset. Like if you're only doing a set like one or two trips per year, you definitely feel like vacation mode switches on and, you know, yeah. you don't have to worry about anything else. But for us, like it because we've incorporated it into our lifestyle, we try to make very reasonable choices on vacation because we want to be able to do it uh, long-term, like in a sustainable fashion. Mm. And then what's your next travel plans depending when we get out of quarantine? Um, so we were supposed to buy a second van in Europe the first week of May. Oh, wow. So the first week of May, we were supposed to go spend a few months in Europe. We were going to travel um, most of Scandinavia, so particularly Norway, Sweden, um, Denmark. And yeah, we were really excited for that. But, you know, Europe will be there when this is all over. And hopefully we can still do that. We were hoping to buy a second van that was smaller. Um, and vans are very cheap in Europe. Like, for some reason, mm. they're, they're not that cheap in the um, North America. But in Europe, they're super cheap. You can get one for like under 5,000 euros, and we could have converted it at Dom's parents' house in the UK and then, yeah, driven over to Scandinavia. So that will definitely be the top trip that we hope to do. A second international baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we would have sold it at the end of that trip for sure, but yeah, a temporary second van. Um, and then just some questions because I know you've been posting a bit about it and I love hearing your perspective about it. So you're a first-generation Vietnamese-American woman traveling around the world in America by van. And you've posted about how it's common for you to find yourself in places where you're the only non-white person. And there's microaggressions that you face on the road. How has this impacted your travels? And like, is this something that's like in the back of your head where you can't fully enjoy a moment because of this? Um, I don't think it's affected where we've chosen to go, luckily. Um, mm. I try to push that thought out. Like, I don't, I don't want to avoid a place because of my race. And I think maybe that's, that, that will be different going forward. But, you know, on the van trip, we really tried to go to places that we saw value in and we wanted to experience. And I didn't want to, like, have the fear of racism affect that. Um, but there definitely were cases where it was very stark. Even just being in a room, sometimes I would turn over to Dom, who's white, and I'd say, wow, I'm the only person of color here. And sometimes it, it would be a bit self-conscious. I'd feel like I really stood out, mm. like I didn't fit in. And I think that was just some personal feelings that I had to contend with. But there were cases where sometimes I felt like I was taken out of that self-esteem even more because people would call it out. Like, 
you know, I, I wrote about this on Instagram, but, you know, I had a case where this guy was talking about Korea and Samsung and saying like, oh, China's spying on us. And then he looked around the, the room and everyone was white. And then he clocked me and was like, oh, Asian, you know, almost accusing me of being affiliated with China and Korea. And I'm like, well, that has nothing to do with me. So it's just this like constant annoyance of having to explain yourself almost. It's like people mm. think that if you're a minority, you're representing an entire race rather than seeing you as an individual, which doesn't happen to white people. So it's it's very uh, sometimes physically and mentally exhausting. And as American, yeah, you're American and yet we still are seen as othered in a lot of places. And I remember like gas stations kind of trigger me. I, I've had multiple instances where when we used to travel up to Maine from Connecticut, it's just like certain gas stations. I was like, just get this, this transaction of like getting gas or getting candy bar like as quick as possible. I'm, it sounds like you still f have felt pretty comfortable in traveling and feeling safe, right? Yeah, I think for the most part, people have been very welcoming. And I try mm. not to let those microaggressions that happen spoil an entire trip. I think, to be honest, um, a lot of my comfort probably comes from the fact that I am traveling with not only another person, but someone that's white and male. Uh, yeah. It definitely helps me you know, feel like we can, quote unquote, fit in. Not that that should be the goal, but I just feel like if I was either a single female by myself or especially a single female of color, it would be a lot starker and I would probably face a lot more harassment, which is the sad reality. And that's just the truth. And I wish that, I mean, I hope someday we can get to a point where women of color can travel anywhere and take up space anywhere without feeling like, this could possibly affect my life. Like someday we'll get to that <laughs> and we don't know how Corona is going to affect this also. Yeah. Um, have you gotten any advice that's helped you with this too? Cause I know the travel community you've built on Instagram, it seems like they're so supportive. Yeah. It's, it's actually been great. Like ever since I was a little bit more candid about my experiences on the road, I had a lot of other women of color come out and just even like not people of color, but coming out and saying like, oh, thank you for talking about this. It's good to know that, uh, you know, sometimes things that we don't consider to be insults can have this effect on people, especially when it's like small comments, like microaggressions that definitely make you feel like, you know, suddenly you're the only one that doesn't fit in in a room. So I think talking about it more has helped me build that community. It's drawn people out to that have supported me. And I think that's really important. Like knowing that you're not the only one in a situation helps you deal with it and helps you feel that there's hope for change, I guess. Like people have been sharing their, their own experiences with microaggressions, but they've also shown ways that they've successfully either educated a person or invited them to, you know, take a deeper look into a, a topic. So I think that's something going forward I'd like to do. I would think of printing out pamphlets, just like, <laughs> I don't feel like using my voice, here you go. But it's like, there's so many resources out there. There's so many things, yeah. but then the expectation is like, no, you educate me because I'm too lazy to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one thing that people have to understand. It's not always up to the, the person of color to do the educating yeah. because it's very exhausting. You know, sometimes if someone asks me, 
where I'm from and then they start guessing like China, Korea, Japan, whatever. And I don't want to explain why that's annoying to them. I'll just like give them a straight answer and like walk away. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you don't have the like mental space to deal with it and that's okay. And then on the flip side, <laughs> talking to your Asian parents about van life, not that those are microaggressions, but there is some <laughs> aggression to, um, just explaining, like, how did you explain your parents this move that you're going to do? Because, like, I I mean, I know your parents, too. It's like every parent just wants their kid to have a nice little home, nice job, that's stable. And then you're like, I'm going to live in a van and in Tahoe. And they're like, where's Tahoe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they were worried, for sure. They kept asking, yeah. you know, what's going to happen with your job? Are you get fired? Mm. And I actually didn't, I didn't say a word to them until uh, the van was fully built out. And so this was six months after I had purchased it because I didn't want to tell them, oh, I bought a, an empty van and then they're gonna say like, oh, you guys can't do this. Like, you know, you've got no experience. Like, what are you doing? You're giving up your apartment. Uh, and so I only told them after it was fully done out, I can show them here, like, it's actually comfortable. It's got these like features. Um, and so they'd have a little bit more trust in me. And I, I didn't quite tell them that we dropped down to part time for that that travel period because, you know, little white lies help here and there with Asian parents. Um, and it definitely wasn't their plan because, yeah, like you said, they wanted me to buy a home in the Bay Area and maybe start a family. But, you know, I was just being really candid with them. And I said, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think there's a balance to everything and I can have a career and I mm. can travel because just it makes me happy. And they've come more on board with that as they get older, as they reach their retirement age. They've been doing more travel that they haven't done for, for mm. years while they were raising me and my brother. And so with their travels, you know, they kind of have that same spark. Like they're saying, oh, we're looking forward to the next trip. Like my mom went back to Aww. Vietnam for the first time in for over 40 years. And she's like, oh, I want to come. I want to go back this year. And if it weren't for... COVID, she probably would have gone back. And so I think they're coming more on board with my decision. But at first they were saying, why are you spending all this money on a, on a van? Like either buy a practical car, or don't buy a car at all. You so um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant balance of, you know, telling them just enough information, but trying to get them to trust me more. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a fun conversation. <laughs> um, and then as we start to wrap up, I just want to ask, like, are you glad you pursued this van life and all the travels you've done? Yeah, I think if I were to say, you know, the one thing that's changed my life the most, it would probably be the decision to go on that trip. Um, not only was it eye-opening in terms of the places we saw and the people we met, but it was a good forcing factor for us. If not for that, mm. we probably would have stayed at our jobs and it would have been fine. We would have probably been promoted upward. It just would have been a totally different path. And I think with travel, there was always this sort of restlessness for me. I always felt like even mm. with the vacations that we got you know, at our tech companies, which are very generous compared to, to most companies, it always felt like it wasn't enough. I wanted to travel on my own terms. And I think, yeah, just having that forcing factor where we made that that cut and we said we're going to make this change and it might put us on a different path, but we were happy to see where that ended. So, yeah. 
I didn't even think about that, like a life without the van and then a life with the van and how different the, that big decision has made for you and like to break out of a typical nine to five template and proving that it works. And do you think this lifestyle will become more normalized after Corona? Just because now we realize, oh, we can do this by email. We can do this remotely. Yeah, I think for a long time, the the norm of companies is what has driven managers to feel um, hesitant about letting people go remote because they, you know, they they're going to slack off. But yeah, with the circumstances now, I think more companies will feel that it's okay to trust their employees. It's okay to give more accountability to an individual. And I think, yeah, hopefully Mm. we move more towards that. um, And more people don't have to choose like, do I want to continue to commute, even though I know it's bad for my, for my mental and physical health? Like, or do I want to work at home, take care of my kids, like live a more balanced and happy life. I, I don't think that should be a sacrifice that going forward is, is the hard choice. I'm excited for that to be more talked about. And I would love to work more remotely, to be honest. Um, and then with your Instagram, I love your photography. Like that's just a nice pairing with travel that you've learned this new skill. Like, did you expect to have travel open this door for creativity for you? I think With my personality, I would have felt frustrated not having something to look back on. I love the feeling Mm. of like reminiscing and like talking about the past because it it helps you relive and better appreciate a moment. I know my boyfriend's less so uh, stoked on that, but you know, yeah, I just I just love having these old things to look back on. So I was like, you know, I want photos that kind of represent the beauty of what I saw and yeah it definitely helped me spark this new interest and it's been fun like because it opens up new avenues in a place as well I'm like oh we should go up to this cliff at this time because it'll be like a great shot but it's also you know a great view period so you know that may not Mm. be something that you would do if you weren't trying to get that shot and it can play a bad role at times because you may only be thinking about that shot so you definitely have to remember to put your camera away and just be in a moment at times and Dom's good about reminding me about that. I'm sure Dom Dom loves reminding you about that. Yeah, it's a struggle when uh, you're into photography and your significant other really isn't. Yeah. And then another creative avenue has been like your writing and sharing that vulnerability in your writing. Like how has writing helped you through your travels? I think it's probably helped me process and experience more. I think especially with some of the loneliness you can sometimes feel, some of the regret. I think people assume that sometimes you're living this life and it's like all cherry, especially because, you know, what people portray on Instagram isn't always the reality. So I think having those vulnerabilities make you more perceptive to help. And I think like being able to share that online has definitely, you know, helped me open up and depend on other people more, even if it's like a stranger, but a stranger that may have lived a similar experience. So I think it's definitely been helpful. And I think it's good to just make friends. And like, you know, I've I've been able to connect with people that we are looking to host a van life gathering together. Um, and, you know, they want to 
bring me into the circle and we can talk about diversity, especially from an Asian American perspective, mm. which sometimes is not a voice that is heard in a lot of circles. Yep. And hopefully that changes going going forward. Oh, I love that. A little van get together with all the bands. <laughs> I just imagine like all the bands gathered together. Um, and then just the last question, when are you going to get a puppy for your van life? Because we know you <laughs> love dogs. <laughs> Um, hopefully very soon. It's been a hard decision mainly because, you know, with that international travel, mm. we don't have any family in California to help care for a puppy. True. And I think, you know, once you have the puppy, you're going to miss it no matter where you go. So it may be better to delay that decision. So uh, TBD, but <laughs> you'll be one of the first to know if I do. At least all your friends have puppies that you can hang out with, especially when exactly. you're in Tahoe. So for the listeners who want to follow Maggie and see more of her travels, you can check out her Instagram, Bite Size Travels, and see where they've been, see her photography, maybe even see the second van when you guys start to build it, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so thank you so much. Thank you. Yes.